Well, welcome, everybody. Welcome to Mercy Town. It's good to see you all. I think we have many guests here today. Um, very good. Um, just as we begin, so we've been doing a series on Advent, and this will be our final meeting of the year. We have the next couple weeks off. Um, and Heidi will be talking about Mary today. Um, so to begin, um, for our call to worship, I'd like to read the Magnificat, the famous song of Mary's praise from Luke chapter 1. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Amen. Heidi. Welcome, everybody. So the last few weeks, we've been doing a little series on Advent and um, kind of looking at the nativity story through the lens of different characters. Like we did the wise men and the shepherds and Joseph. And Terry asked me to talk a little bit about Mary today. And I know this is going to be really hard because everybody's just anticipating the main event of um, those wild little ones to come. Um, so I promise, I've timed myself, and I'm, I'm hopefully keeping it between 13 to 15 minutes. <laughs> um, but I think it'll just be a great way for us to reflect, too, and get our hearts ready and usher ourselves into the story that those little kids are about to tell us. So, from the mouths of babes. Um, so... I'm going to pray. Let's pray. (sighs) Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you are Emmanuel, that you chose to come and to be with us here on this earth. Um, We thank you that you came to be with us as a humble baby who was helpless, who was so vulnerable. We just give thanks for that. Um, I just pray right now that we would actually open our hands and look to you and that our hearts would um, be in that same place, that they would be vulnerable and that they would be humble. Um, Just as your Holy Spirit is here, um, guide me, speak to each one of us, and just lead us, Holy Spirit. In your precious name, amen. So there's a lot, a lot about Mary that sometime if I somehow pin you in a corner, I may (laughs) engage you in a dialogue that you might not be able to get out of. Um, There's there's just a lot about Mary that I don't think I had quite 
thought about before um, until I was forced to um, in preparing for this talk. There's a really great book that Tim Keller wrote um, called Mary, the Mother of God. So if you really want to dive in deep, check that out. Um, but today I just... Um, I'm going to sort of go through the three little parts of scripture um, in the nativity story and and extricate, just talk a little bit about um, something that I feel like God spoke to me about Mary in each one of those little spots. Um, it's actually a little complicated for me to sum up my feelings about Mary. I I think the relationship between Mary and Jesus is often really sentimentalized. I mean, it's I mean, it's a precious, it's a mother and her son. Um, and then you add sort of the divinity into it. And there's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle. Um, but I think like any relationship, it's complicated. Um, there's a lot of places in the gospels, as I just sort of read about her life and her sort of dialogues with Jesus where um, there's not a lot of like real heartfelt conversations between she and Jesus. Um, a lot of it is Jesus running away to the temple and Mary <laughs> not knowing where he was for a long period of time and coming and saying, we have been terrified. Um, where have you been? And um, I thought it was really interesting. Frederick Beekner wrote, about Mary, it said, part of her sorrow was presumably that she loved him too much for himself instead of for the wild and holy business that he thought he'd been called to. And I thought, as a mother, like you, you have your child and you think, oh man, you, you dream of what that relationship is going to look like and all the things you're going to do with them and the conversations you're going to have. And I thought, we often are reminded, I think it was Nancy Elliott that said to me before Ruby was born that like, this is not your child, like this is God's child. And like you need to ask him how it is that God wants you to raise Ruby and how God wants you to raise Axel. And it's one of those moments where you're like, yes, 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 but you don't fully understand what that is until there's moments where you realize, oh man, I've got expectations for what this relationship is gonna look like. And then it's unfolding really differently. And then all of a sudden you're forced to say, okay, God, like I need to surrender to this. Um, and so I'm sure there was actually a lot of that involved with Jesus and Mary's relationship. And um, again, that adds a complicated layer to things. Um, However, I think that Mary, as she was carrying Jesus in her belly, she was traveling on a donkey for miles, nine months pregnant. Um, she was tending to a birth in a smelly, dirty barn. And I think that there was exhaustion and exhilaration. Um, there were no sorrows yet. Do you know what I mean? Like it was still, the palate was still fresh. Things were still clean and new. Um, and so that's the part of the story we're going to tell today. <laughs> um, she was a young mother. She was 14, 14 years old. She was not yet a woman. She was a child. <laughs> um, and she was about to experience a miracle. Um, so I'm going to start with the first passage um, in Luke. Luke 27, 227. The angel went to a virgin, promised in marriage to a descendant of David named Joseph. The virgin's name was Mary. When the angel entered her home, he greeted her and said, you are favored by the Lord. The Lord is with you. She was startled. 
by what the angel said and tried to figure out what this greeting meant. The angel told her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will become pregnant, give birth to a son, and name him Jesus. He will be a great man and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. Your son will be the king of Jacob's people forever, and his kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be? I am a virgin. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come to you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the holy child developing inside you will be called the Son of God. Elizabeth, your relative, she's six months pregnant with a son in her old age. People said she couldn't have a child, but nothing is impossible for God. Mary answered, I am the Lord's servant. Let everything you've said happen to me. And then the angel left her. Oh my goodness. Are any of you getting this moment? Um, The awe and the terror. I can't imagine a 14-year-old girl is experiencing. An angel just came. That alone is enough. A messenger of God. And then the holy angel tells her something is going to happen that never in history before has happened. A virgin birth. And not just a virgin birth, but the virgin birth of the Savior, of the Messiah, of something the Jewish people have been talking and talking and talking about. Here she is a peasant at 14, and she's about to bring that Messiah through a virgin birth into the world. I'm like, if your head isn't exploding, (laughs) I don't know. Um, One of my favorite poems, Madeline Langle, says, this is the irrational season when love blooms bright and wild. Had Mary been filled with reason, there'd have been no room for a child. Isn't that good? I just think this poem is a reminder that there are seasons for being irrational. Being irrational is exactly right. Because I think sometimes reason can stifle our imagination and truly shut down the possibility of God coming. And that's exactly what would have happened if she would have been like, nope, nope, that could not have happened. She let love bloom wild because she was open to hearing Jesus. Um, God offered her a radical gift and she didn't turn away. She received that radical gift. She was obedient to it. And she wasn't obedient just sort of to a cause or to the Jewish culture out of obligation. Um, It wasn't just a personal pursuit for her. She was obedient to the eternal and the creative work of God. A God who, as Erin just read in her prayer, the Magnificat afterwards, a God whose work is to lift up the humble and to fill the hungry with good things. I think obedience is often seen as sort of a stifling thing these days. It can sort of be suffocating to be obedient. It's sort of a, it ruins our fun. It ruins our freedom. Um, But this obedience, it took courage. And it took humility. Um, Her obedience was risky. 
it was vulnerable. I'm sure it was full of moments of fear. I'm sure it was full of moments of doubt. And yet, she obeyed. Another favorite quote of mine, um, Rachel Held Evans, she's a beautiful writer. She says, "One one need not be a saint or a mother to become a bearer of God. One needs only to obey. The divine resides in all of us, but it's our choice. It's our choice to either magnify it or to diminish it, to ignore it or to surrender to its lead. And that's what she did. She surrendered to its lead. She was obedient and she surrendered to God's leading. The second little portion of her story So so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and she placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So I have to admit, as I read this, um, I imagined myself in this part of the story getting really cranky, um, a bit entitled. Um, I began layering sort of all my modern day expectations on how this should have gone, and I was frightfully embarrassed as I recognized what I sort of would have expected in this. Um, had an angel come to me and said, you're going to bear the child of God? I thought, okay, okay. Surely, surely, if that is the privilege that God has given me, um, he could have figured out a different mode of transportation other than a donkey. I know she didn't know planes, trains, and automobiles, but surely, like a carriage or something <laughs> other than a donkey. Um, and I know that I would have thought, okay, God, he is the seer, he is the knower of all things. Certainly, he could have thought this through in advance and like moved someone's heart to like leave an open room. There was no room for them. <laughs> and then I thought, oh man, I know when those pregnancy hormones are going the way that I um, embarrassingly can sort of respond to my dear husband. And I thought, oh man, can you imagine the marital conflict that could have arisen in this, in this situation? I mean, the blame-shame game, the sort of like, we should have left earlier. If we had left a day earlier, there would have been a room for us. Why didn't you think ahead of time to like write a note to somebody to save a room for us? <laughs> I just, again, like all the complications that came up in this. I think, thankfully, God chose Mary. <laughs> and, um, there's nothing about her attitude in this, um, but I believe she was humble, and maybe ignorance is bliss. Maybe um, her youth, she was able to just like take it in stride. But um, again, I was really humbled as I thought about what these circumstances were. And when I think about myself and trying to imagine me in these circumstances, the two vastly different attitudes that probably would have surfaced. Um, 
I think at this point in the story too, the thrill, and I'm sure a little bit of terror of the angel coming to visit her, that has passed a little bit. Um, I think the, the precious joy of her experiencing that first moment of like, I'm starting to feel pregnant. She got to go and share her pregnancy with her dear cousin Elizabeth, who was also pregnant. And that's so fun to have a shared experience with someone. Um, That moment, I'm sure, very awkward moment, going to Joseph and being like, I love you. I know you placed your trust in me. An angel just came to me and said, I'm pregnant with the son of God. just sit with that one for a moment. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot to fill the space there, right? So all of these moments have sort of passed, and now she's in a strange town. This is not her hometown. She's not surrounded by her friends and family. She's in a barn. She's in a barn. And she's about ready at 14 to give birth to her first child, I imagine fear, I imagine pain, I imagine a lot of mess, a mess in the barn, a mess with the birth, a lot of discomfort, um, and some unmet expectations. And a lot, well, a lack of control. And I don't know about you, but there are a lot of times in life that I want to have control. And I can imagine being ready to have my firstborn child. You want to have a little control. And she had none. Um, But as always, God has a plan. And his plan was to come straight into that mess. To, like, come straight into the pain. Straight into her discomfort. And into those unmet expectations. I mean, literally straight in. Jesus Emmanuel. He was going to come right in there with her. And then as the birth came, her body, it took over. And all she could do was, again, just fully surrender to that moment. In birth, there is something. Your body kicks in. All those muscles, all those hormones, they just start doing their thing. And you have... I mean, there's no turning back. There is no turning back. You have decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. And she had in this moment. Um, There was nothing sanitary or clean or white about this moment. It was messy. The incarnation was messy. There was a lot of pain, a lot of waiting, I'm sure, a lot of work, and too little control. Um, I don't think it was probably very dignifying. And yet she surrendered. And she allowed the word made flesh to come into her, into her presence. It was in her being and now it's going to be in her physical presence. So in the mess, in the smell in the not ideal circumstances, in the possible unmet expectations, she chose obedience and she chose life. She chose life in those messy circumstances. She chose to bring forth life for all of us. So the last part, they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph 
and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things, and she pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. But Mary treasured up all these things, and she pondered them in her heart. What a beautiful reminder. She treasured life. She pondered life. I imagine in her exhaustion, she just held him close. She smelled that sweet, sweet newborn smell. She listened to those those little squeaks, the little coos and gurgles that the babies give. And she just pondered the miracle in these not ideal circumstances. We are now in the Advent season, and Advent literally means to wait. So let's finish this Advent season like Mary. She obeyed, she risked, and she was vulnerable. She chose life in not ideal circumstances, (laughs) and she treasured each moment. Like a mother while she's pregnant, she's making preparations, getting ready for that new baby to come. And her Advent preparation made room for God. Not just for plans, she made room for God. She made room for more love. She was forced physically and emotionally and mentally to create space to treasure and to ponder Jesus. So let's do the same. I'm just going to end with this little poem called The Cradle by Eugene Peterson. For us who have only known approximate fathers and mothers, this child is a surprise. A sudden coming, true of all we hoped might happen. Hoarded hopes fed by prophecies, old sermons and song fragments, now cry and coo in the cradle. A babbling proto-language which as soon as it gets a tongue, and we of course grow open ears will say the big nouns, joy, glory, and peace, and live the best verbs, love, forgive, and save. Along with the swaddling clothes, the words are washed of every soiling sentiment. They are scrubbed clean of all failed promises and then hung in the world's backyard, dazzling white, billowing gospel. Amen.